one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On the RBI, hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 what is going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the phillies nation podcast i am your host ty dobbert we are officially into the off season and award season so we're going to get into that on this episode i'm joined as always by my co-host nathan ackerman nathan how are you doing are you ready to get into this one doing awesome very excited to get into this one indeed we are we alluded to this last week on our ideal off-season pod but we're joined by a very special guest today we are joined by matt gelb the phillies beat writer for the athletic matt thanks so much for joining the podcast today how you doing good guys enjoying you know whatever it is we have left of this like hot stove season right i think uh, we have about uh, 12 days (laughs) yeah Yes, um, hot stove season until there is a potential lockout, which it doesn't seem like there is going to be any kind of labor deal ahead of that December 1st deadline, I believe it is. So, yeah, it's award season and it's hot stove season and it's all the baseball offseason stuff until it isn't until it's labor talks in about two weeks. So but like Matt said, we have a little bit to to talk about. So we're going to get into it. Bryce Harper winning the National League MVP yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, the day after he wins it. Zach Wheeler earlier in the week gets second place in the Cy Young voting. So we're going to get into that, Matt. Just overall, what are your your thoughts on some of these some of these performances from those guys and how the voting ended up turning out? I actually thought it was going to be closer. I mean, I thought you know Harper was the MVP. I mean, I. I I'm probably biased because I saw him more, you know, than Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Brandon Crawford and so many other guys who have been mentioned. But uh, I I just thought uh, his performance in the second half, uh, essentially dragging or carrying, however you want to describe it, the Phillies, you know, (laughs) to contention into the end of the September, I thought was uh, was notable. I think it was just far more notable than any other uh, candidate there was. And I, I think, though, that there was some pushback from, you know, voters in other parts of the country just because, like, the Phillies, you know, again, didn't make the playoffs. And, you know, all things being equal, you know, the top three guys uh, were playing on, on teams that didn't make the playoffs. And Tatis was probably, you know, I think there's a different world where Tatis is the MVP if the Padres, even if they don't make the playoffs, but if they just don't totally crater, Right. Like if Tatis, if the Padres just play like 500 ball like the rest of the way instead of just totally cratering and Tatis continues to put up the kind of numbers he did, um, I, I think Tatis might have been the MVP. But and I think what Harper did was just truly amazing. I mean, you look at it and I wrote a, a pretty lengthy story I've been working on for a little bit uh, for The Athletic just about how we, we almost forgot about like what happened to him in late April. I mean, it, it, it was just crazy you know, getting hit in the face with a 97 mile fastball face and the wrist, which ended up being just as big of a problem. But, you know, behind the scenes, I mean, there were, there were, there were clues and there were people who would talk about, you know, how, how Harper's uh, barriers weren't just physical. I mean, there were some mental things that he had to overcome and how could you not blame him? I mean, when you get hit in the face with 97, uh, especially from the left side, um, that can be, I would imagine, 
very difficult to overcome. And, and it wasn't very straightforward for him to come back. And when he did come back, he wasn't very good. Uh, we saw teams exploit him with fastballs in the zone and he wasn't hitting them. And he took another 10 day break. And when he came back, um, he was the best player in baseball, really, from the end. Or maybe just nationally. I guess Shohei Otani was the best player in baseball, period. But best player in the National League from June 1st on. And uh, it's an amazing season. You know, he has fulfilled uh, just about every promise that uh, that contract sort of entails. And there's still 10 more years. And I think Harper had the right message in, in his, um, you know, in his media availability saying that, you know, I'm not just trying to check out boxes and move on to the next thing. It's like, I'm not saying just because I won an MVP, like I don't want to win another MVP. And, um, you know, just because I checked this box off doesn't mean that like I'm focused on the goal of trying to get this team into October and, and into a world series. And that is, um, you know, when you think about it, Price Harper and Mike Trout, you know, the two probably faces of baseball outside of Shohei Otani right now have never played in a play. I have never played in a world series, have never won a playoff series. Um, just insane when you think about that. And, um, you know, uh, as of right now, like what is Bryce Harper's like legacy? It's probably that he's been a very good player on, on, mediocre or just okay teams, right? Much like Mike Trout. Um, Harper has now run two MVPs before turning 30, which is incredible. Uh, but that postseason stuff now is going to start to be, I think, you know, what people talk about most with him. Um, I don't know. What was your guys' reaction? Did you guys think that uh, he was the runaway guy? I mean, I think just being around, you know, this team, I mean, I think everyone just kind of assumed, you know, that he was going to be the MVP. Yeah, I think he was the runaway guy. I mean, I think there was there's a I mean, Juan Soto's OBP was just insane. We, we haven't seen a season like that in a long time, or at least a full 162 game season like that for a long time, as far as just getting on base goes. But you know, when you take that and you consider still the fact that Harper led him by what 45 points in OPS and mm-hmm. slugging percentage 615 to like 534, some something like that, I think there was a pretty significant gap there, and I think also. Um, you talk about the hit by pitch in late April. You can't, you obviously can't take that out of the conversation for MVP stuff because at the end of the day, it did, it did happen. But there was a, there was a stretch in there where he, he went 0 for 16 with 10 Ks, uh, clearly injured. I think it was in like Toronto right, or right something before, like that. Right before he went on the injured list. Yes. That's exactly. Right they shot him down. Yeah. Exactly. If it wasn't for that 0 for 16 stretch, he would have had a 1.0. 076 OPS on the year, which would have beat his 1.044 mark by 32 points, which is just, I mean, remarkable. So when you, when you consider the fact that he put up the numbers that he did, despite the stretch that he had when he was clearly injured or missing time for the span of a good month there, uh, you know, we can talk about why he was playing in that situation in the first place. That's a different conversation entirely, but if it wasn't for that stretch, it would have been run away. And I still think even with that spin, it wasn't all that close. There are cases to be made for the other guys. Um, I, I, I didn't think he was going to win unanimously like um, uh, Otani did, but it's, it seemed to me like he was the favorite. And, you know, maybe I'm coming from the same place where I watch him more than I watch all the other guys too. But if you just look at the numbers and I think offensive stats are what people, including myself, care most about these days, it's, he was he was the guy in my opinion i i I mean i think oh go ahead yeah sorry yeah i I was just gonna say i think i think it was a little closer than maybe you guys were mentioning i think i think soto had a really compelling case that that eye-popping on base percentage number in in about 10 more games i think they were really neck and neck if i had 
near the end of the season, I was if I had a vote, I was leaning Soto and then right down to the final days of the season, Soto cooled off just a little bit, like a little maybe like two weeks with with two le- two weeks left in the season, Soto was on an absolute tear and it really did come down to the final days of the year. I think they were neck and neck, but you couldn't go wrong with either one of those in my my opinion. They both the second half of the season for both those guys, like maybe two of the better second half performances you're going to see out of out of two guys in the same division and then you know as you mentioned neither of them make the playoffs people people say oh harper drags the phillies to 82 wins or whatever it was but can you imagine the nationals record if they didn't have juan soto that would have been that would have been brutal yeah and that's the thing is like i don't want to take away with so from what Soto did because it's amazing the season he had but um miller wasn't very much around him in the last two months and honestly teams treated him like I thought teams were going to treat Bryce, you know, Soto did not get a lot of pitches to hit and look like he shouldn't be punished for being patient. Like he showed incredible discipline at the plate, took his walks. He, he, he didn't try to, you know, hit what teams weren't giving him. And, you know, a lot of ways Bryce had to do similar things, but uh, you know, Soto didn't get pitched to really in the last two months and teams were doing that for a reason because like there was no one around him. So like that on base percentage is incredible. I just like, I don't know, like, um, even though both teams didn't make the playoffs, the Phillies were in contention actually. And, you know, Harper was playing in meaningful games and people will point to, you know, that brave series at the end of the year where he totally uh, did not show up, but honestly, <laughs> it was so hard to hold that against him because they were in that position really solely because of Bryce Harper. Yeah. And I think the other thing that helped Harper was being the only player in the national league above a 1000 OPS one Soto finished the season at 0.999. And do you guys know who's responsible for that? He ended the season on a strikeout by former Philly Nick Pavetta. So maybe that helped Harper's MVP case. Who knows? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, this race definitely exceptionally close. I think both of them really good seasons, but Harper, like where does where Matt, where do you think this ranks among some of the best Philly seasons that we've seen over like over the years and just in the history of the franchise? In general, it's got to be got to be one of the most impressive. I think so. I mean, if you want to use, it's so hard to compare over different eras and you know different styles of baseball. But you know, Baseball Reference has OPS Plus, which is you know about as good as it gets, honestly, for like comparing different eras, right? And Harper is in the top ten. I don't know exactly where he is in terms of OPS for his season. I know. Um, Actually, I don't I'm not I'm not gonna think about it. I'm not sure. Let's see. I'm gonna look it up right now while we're talking. I know he was in the top ten. Let's see. He was seventh all time, 139 years of Phillies baseball by OPS plus. Harper had the seventh best season in history. And then, you know, you can go back and start debating whether Ed Delahente's seasons in the late 19th century were, you know, how they how do they compare to Price Harper in 2021? I don't know. But uh in the modern era, there's Schmidt in 81. Dick Allen in 66 and then Bryce Harper in 2021. So if you want to use that one metric and there's a lot of different metrics you can use a lot of different ways of measuring it. Um, it was one of the best single season offensive performances in Philly's history. And uh, that's saying a lot, 139 years of Philly's baseball. Um, what we just saw was, was about as good as it's going to get. And uh, you know, I know a lot of people were disappointed in the way the Philly season ended and rightfully so. Uh, but like in the end, you know what, like at least you had Bryce Harper to watch. And I know that's like, might not be the best consolation prize, but it's, it's not bad. 
Do you think this is somewhat personal for him? I mean, he's he's been a guy who's been every road game he plays in, he's showered with the overrated chance. And I feel like in recent years, it's become general consensus that he's a very good baseball player. But do you think finally being recognized as, you know, not just one of the game's best players, but like the most valuable player in the National League? And if it was a whole baseball thing, he probably would have finished I don't know. I mean, top five for sure. Otani probably would have still won that. But do, do, do you think this is something that, I don't know, he obviously he was saying what he said last night about it's about making the postseason. It's about winning and things like that. But do you think there's a at least a little bit of a personal aspect to him? I, mean, I don't know if it's like if you say it's personal, but I would say this, like I know that like he really wanted to win the MVP. I mean, like, he really wanted to win MVP. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and like you saw, I mean, like he was not only was he playing every day because he, he knew that he, he was trying to help his team win. I mean, like, look like this, you know, individual awards matter. And like, even if like people don't, maybe people don't want to hear a player say that, like, like I, I, I care about my team winning and I also care about like, you know, how I perform. And, you know, Bryce would say that he doesn't look at stats and I, 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 I think I believe him. I don't know. Like, I'm sure he saw, you know, he claimed that he didn't see look at anything or see anything until the end of the season. He told his friends, stop texting me about, you know, my numbers or what I'm doing. But, like, I don't know. I mean, like, he plays in, a, in, a, in stadiums where, like, the stats are posted everywhere, like, <laughs> on the scoreboard. And, like, I'm sure he knew um, maybe he wasn't actively seeking, you know, his numbers and what he was doing specifically. But I, I think he cares. Like, I, I think what he said last night um, was, was really cool. I mean, he's like, look, like, when I won MVP the first time, he was super young he probably was thinking, Oh, like, this is just something I'm going to do all the time. And, you know, when he was that, when he was young and brash and, you know, came up so young and, and was so good, like, yeah, of course he's thinking he's just going to win MVP every year or every other year or whatever. Um, you know, the separation between the two MVPs that ends up going up six years between them, it probably made it a little more special for him. And he admitted that um, the fact that he, you know, his son and his daughter, his daughter won't remember it. his son, might not even remember it either, but they were there. And, um, you know, there will always be video clips and pictures of, of him celebrating with his children. I, I think, you know, that probably made it more special for him today. So, um, you know, I, was it personally? Maybe. I mean, I think he enjoys like that Dylan role, like you're talking about, where he goes in the stadiums and is just getting constantly uh, booed and abused. Like, I think he just loves that. And I think that's why part of the reason why Phillies fans really like him, you know, because of his style of play, but also because he just embraces, you know, that whole um, heel sort of thing on the road. Uh, I think people really like that. And I think Bryce enjoys it. And he probably um, gets a little motivation from it. You mentioned the the previous MVP 2015, really one of the best offensive seasons we've seen since bonds really. And I think that, I think that following that up, I mean, he's had really good seasons since 2017. He gets, he gets hurt. Maybe would have won another MVP, but I think, I think in recent years before this year, some of the talk has been like, oh, yeah, he had 2015, but that 10 war season or whatever it was, maybe that was a bit of a fluke. Like, he's just a good player. He's not that level. I think being able to follow that up with with a season that wasn't quite as impressive as that one, but another one that really put him in that elite tier was probably like another another factor into him wanting to win it, maybe. Yeah, and I also think that like, like um, we think of the contract, we think of the number, right? We think of 330. Like that's a number. That's an eye-popping number. And it sticks out. And, like, it will always be next to his name, right? But go into the, like, the way he's paid, you know, annually, his annual average salary. And I don't know where it ended up this season. I know it's probably in the top 20, maybe top 15. But I believe it's not it was around top, 18. 
I think it was around 18. Yeah. It's not in the top five. He is not in the top 10. He's not a top 10 paid player in average annual salary in the sport right now. And, you know, I think people's expectation room obviously is high. It should be, but he's not paid like a top 10 player. He's not paid like a top five player on a per year basis. And so far as a Philly, and honestly, if you want to look, even if you want to go further back than that, you know, just in the last three, four years, like he's probably performed like a top 20 player in major league baseball now. Yeah. I, I would say that's pretty yeah. definite. So he might not be one of the five best, but this past year he was probably among the five best and he was paid like maybe the 18th best. So, you know, so far the contract has worked out great. It's a lot of years left. <laughs> 10 years is a, is a long time. And I don't think anyone is fooling themselves. They think the contract is going, is going to end well. Like, you know, the last few years are probably going to be rough, but um, you signed him for these first, you know, five, six years of the deal. And I mean, boy, they, <laughs> Like they have to take advantage of it. I mean, they just, they have to do something with this core. And maybe this leads us into talking about a wheeler and a Cy Young, but I mean, they just, um, you know, <laughs> they are built to win now. And, and in a lot of ways, they're not built to win now. And it's a, it's a, it's a real problem that I just, you know, there's, there's not a good solution for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you even think back to some of the past few trade deadlines when they're struggling and people suggest leading up that maybe they sell. And it's like, well, what's the point of selling when you have these guys who are all now approaching 30 and they're all they're really good. The Wheelers, the Harpers, the Hoskins, the, the Real Mutos, those kind of players They they're not built for the future. Like you mentioned, they're built now in the sense that they have that win now core, but it's it's everything around them that's not really living up to what they would need it to be. And like you said, we can mention that um, we can mention Wheeler finishes second in the Cy Young voting. We said Harper's contract has aged well so far. Wheeler's, I mean, mm-hmm. not much you could, that you couldn't ask for more than, than what he's done, especially you consider what Garrett Cole got, who's, who's been good. He had a good year and Steven Strasburg, they signed right after Wheeler. Maybe if Wheeler waits it out a little bit, a few off seasons ago, he gets more than what he got from the Phillies, but that five-year deal, it's really looking good. And in year two, he's one of the best pitchers in the NL. So what do you think of how his season and kind of the award voting as it goes for Zach Wheeler? Yeah, I would say first, like, I think um, his deal probably looks like the, the best move of the Clintech era right now. Honestly, like better than yeah. uh, the Real Muto trade, better than the Bryce contract, just because like, you know, I don't know. I mean, those were, um, you know, you, you, they, you come to, somebody comes to you with that and you're like, okay, yeah, like, duh. The Wheeler deal, like it wasn't like that much of a layup, you know. Let's, let's not forget when they signed him. I think there was a lot of uh, questions about, you know, hey, you're going to give this guy um, 118 million dollars, and and um, yeah, sure, you're betting on his future, but um, this is an unusual contract, and um, it definitely bucked the trend of paying players for past performance, which is a, a slippery slope. And uh, I mean, this has been a, a great contract. I mean, even if he has just a so-so year in 2022, the third year of the deal, I mean, they've already, you know. They've already got quite a bit of value out of, out of the first two years of this contract. Unfortunately, they haven't had team success with it. But as far as the Cy Young voting goes, you know, I, I know people are, are fired up and, you know, like it wouldn't be award season without, um, you know, people angrily yelling at, at baseball writers. And that's fair. I mean, I think that comes with the territory. But like, you know, like you could make a good argument for like any of the three or four guys at the top of the Cy Young voting. And, and, like, do I agree with, with how it went down? Probably not. Like, 
I, I haven't voted for an award since 2010. I just, um, it's not like, I, I, I think the writers like, you know, are probably the most qualified to vote for it. Go look at what happened when, um, go look at some of like the gold glove nominees and those that's done by uh, players and coaches. And it was just kind of embarrassing, honestly, some of the, the nominees and some of the guys who weren't even at, nominated at their correct position. Um, like that's a whole different story, but I, like, I, I think innings are important. I, I do. I really do. And I, I, I think it's weird that Wheeler was punished. It seems like for having pitched more innings with a higher ERA in the end, um, Corbin Burns had an unbelievable season. Honestly, like Walker Bueller probably like would have been in my top three had I voted. He wasn't even a finalist. Um, like, I think it's, it's, it's possible to be angry and disappointed in the result, but also, you know, understanding that like, there's a good argument for four or five guys this year. Like that's how close it was in my opinion. And um, would Wheeler have been the sign young in most years? Yeah, I think so. Uh, does it take away from the performance? No, not really. I mean, like he's, he's, uh, he's had a, had a great year. I think the big questions are going to be, you know, how does he come back off of 213 and a third innings, you know, uh, next season in 2022, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how, how they're able to, you know, push him again uh, because boy, they like really pushed him here. All right. What did you think of the way Wheeler's usage down the stretch impacted his Cy Young odds? I think it, obviously his biggest case was his workload. He threw, like you said, 213.1, but there were some games in there where he was just left in. It seemed like they were going to ride him until his arm fell off. I think the Rays game comes to mind. Do you think if things had played out, you obviously have to walk a fine line there because at the same time, you're in the playoff hunt and you're trying to go to your guy and win games. Um, do you think that sort of took a toll on him toward the end of the season? He had a great September. August wasn't so kind to him, but I don't. do you think things could have played out differently? Do you think he might have been able to snag that Cy Young? Because he was only 10 points back if they had sort of dialed it back at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think he just needed a better August. Like, I think that's like, that's it. I mean, like he needed a better August. And like after he pitches that, you know, complete game shutout against the Mets, which is, you know, really the, the apex of the Philly season, as it turns out. Uh, I think it was, you know, that the first weekend in August, uh, an incredible performance. And, and you're thinking, you know, wow, like this is happening. Like this is actually happening. And, um, you know, he just, his next, I think it was like three or four, just um, were not good. And, and and you have to wonder, like, did the workload contribute to that? And in the end, the Phillies decided that it did contribute to that because let's not forget, like, you know, all of September, I think maybe beginning even in the end of August, I, I don't know if I have the timeline, right? Like they decided that they had to cap in, like they had to, uh, you know, be way more aggressive with removing him from games because the workload had started to catch up with him. Yeah. And now was this because, um, was this a bad decision by the manager? Is this because the pitcher, you know, is pushing to keep throwing? I don't know if it's any of that. I think it was just, they didn't have a bullpen that they trusted. Yeah. Like, and that falls back. Like, like, I don't know that you can blame Joe Girardi for like trying to push Wheeler in some of those August games because he, you know, in, in a fatigued Zach Wheeler uh, on a lot of those nights was probably better than the next best option that Girardi would have went to. And that, that comes back to roster construction and just, um, you know, it, it probably cost the Phillies a, a postseason spot and it might have cost Zach Wheeler a sign I mean, that's just simply um, the way it is. Like, I, you know. I don't know if it was anything that they did wrong other than the fact that they didn't have a better bullpen period. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned it before with 
with Harper kind of ranking um, where his season was in terms of the all-time Philly seasons, the Phillies, especially in recent memory, think back maybe a decade ago, they've had some incredible starting pitchers, but where would you, where would you rank Wheeler's performance from some of the ones you've seen um, covering, covering the Phillies? I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, yeah, I haven't even thought about it. I mean, cause like, I mean, gosh, like, I, you know, I've covered the team um, since 2010 and like the, like the run scoring environment has changed like so much in the, you know, in just 11 years, it's gone up and down and up and then back down sort of. I mean, um, I, I still think like, like the holiday seasons um, are, are like as, as good as I'm ever going to see probably. Yeah. Um, the first two seasons were unbelievable. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know how, I don't, I would have to really think about like how Wheeler's season compares to, you know, like, like Cole Hamels in um, 2010. And honestly, like Hamels sticks out just in my head because of the, the postseason shutout he threw in 2010 in Cincinnati, like that was um, one of the, the best pitch games I think I'll ever see. Um, and so uh, it's up there. I mean, like then there's Cliff Lee seasons I'm not even mentioning. And then there's Aaron Nola's uh, 2018 that I'm not even getting to. I guess the question would be, what do you want? Do you want 2018 Aaron Nola or do you want 2021 uh, Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I saw. And, uh, I saw a good a, debate. There was a Twitter poll of that actually this morning, and that's that's really tough. I think maybe, I think maybe because nobody this year, especially through innings like like Wheeler did, that he has like a compelling case in that debate. But that'd be a tough one. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, I highly recommend anyone listening read. Alex Spears uh, commentary in the Boston Globe uh, regarding uh, his Cy Young ballot in the American League uh, and, and just how he is looking at viewing and how he's looking at evaluating pitchers moving forward. You know, like there are, there are specific measurements that help us understand, you know, what a pitcher, um, you know, how a pitcher should be valued and like, you know, what is his fault? What isn't his fault? I'm thinking of FIP and I'm thinking of even war because war does factor in, fit measurements and some defensive metrics um, that doesn't necessarily tell us the true story of what happened. Like it tells us the story of what should have happened, right. Or what might happen next year. If you're trying to, you know, project out, you know, what this performance meant um, it may not be the best measurement or instrument to evaluate what happened when you're voting for awards specifically. Uh, and so I, I recommend everyone read that and, and, um, you know, I think there's been like a, a major course correction. Like if you would have looked at the, the, the voting for AL and NL Cy Young this year, and if you would have like, if you would have looked at that like 10 years ago and you're like, this is what's going to happen in 2021, an American League pitcher who won 13 games uh, is going to win the Cy Young and a National League pitcher who threw, you know, 167 innings is going to win the Cy Young. I think people's heads would have exploded because it was just right around that time where like Felix Fernandez, that big, um, you know, American League Cy Young vote, you know, like it was, but I feel like that we've kind of gone to another extreme, right? We went from one extreme to just totally only valuing wins and, and ERA. Um, and I just, I, I think there is a middle ground and um, just like the Phillies are having trouble, like there's, there's, it's hard to find middle ground. Probably could say that about everywhere in this country. Like it's hard to find middle ground, like middle ground is important. And uh, I think we can apply that to how we evaluate pitchers too. Yeah, I would definitely. Why don't we take, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. No, I would just say I would I would agree. 
especially the point of, you know, we have to look at for awards what happened, not what should have happened um, with some of these these metrics. Like that especially gets me with with FIP in evaluating these pitchers. It's like, sure, maybe they shouldn't have given up those runs, but they did, and that matters when, mm-hmm. in terms of winning games and their performance. So that's all. That's all I had. Nathan, you can get into what you were going to say. I was just going to say we've we've talked about Harper winning MVP, Wheeler, Cy Young. We've sort of touched on it a bit, but in the end, the Phillies missed the playoffs, in case you guys didn't know. Matt, what do you think about how they approached this offseason coming off the award slate, but coming off the years that these guys had and the obvious deficiencies in the middle of the roster? Uh, Ty and I last week put together our little ideal offseason. I guess we can get into some of that later if Ty, you want to, but um what what do they do i think the elephant in the room for the last well for this offseason and the last however many previous off seasons has been the luxury tax and there's only so much that they maybe can do if they're going to stay under that that you know uh, I mean, we don't even know we don't even know yeah we don't even know what the rules be. are right yeah i mean we yeah. don't even know if there is going to be a luxury tax so yeah um yeah i mean i again let's okay let's assume let's let's assume there is some sort of threshold at the top. I'm not going to use the word salary cap because I don't think there will be a salary cap, but let's assume there's some sort of threshold at the top. And if there is, the Phillies won't go over it. Like I'm, I'm convinced of that. Um, you know, maybe they go over it during the season. If, if they're, if they, you know, are in first place and they believe that they have a, a team that can win the world series. Um, but let's assume for this, this exercise, they're, 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 they're limited somehow. There's some sort of cap to what they can spend this off season. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people and try to get a feel for, for where they might go. And I think there are a lot of questions right now because simply we just don't know what the rules are going to be. And that hasn't stopped teams from making deals. You know, like we've seen actually, you know, quite a few deals happen already. And I think we will see some deals uh, before December 1st. I, I think, you know, not to be like, you know, too obvious, but I mean, like there are holes are like, you know, you can, identify them pretty well i mean like they're going to go get a closer um you know whether that's a free agent or a trade they're going to acquire a a a, a proven closer um that is something they're going to do and that fits the mold of what dave dombrowski has done in previous iterations with, with um similar teams who had a need like this uh i i, I think uh the closer is is the is the, is the top priority right now just because it's a finite market, right? There's not a ton of guys available. Um, everyone wants to link them to, to Craig Kimbrell and, you know, because of the previous ties with Boston, I don't know that it's like a, a slam dunk there. Um, certainly like Kimbrell is an option for them, a good option. Uh, and then after that, like, I think you look, you know, you look toward left field or center field and depending on, you know, what they, what they value most, <laughs> It's funny because like we've been talking about how you know Dombrowski's put it on you know he's made it very clear like we want another middle of the order bat, um, which which they they should want. They, they also need a leadoff hitter too. I mean they 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 really didn't have a good leadoff hitter at all last season. Um, written a lot about it, and they they don't have a clear one on the roster moving forward. So if you go get a bopper for left field, who's like kind of your middle of the order guy, and left field is the easiest spot for them to go get this you know middle of the order bat, like what do you do in center? You know, how much money do you have left? Remember you need a seventh inning guy. You need an eighth inning guy. You need a bench. Um, you know, you might need another starter, but I don't know that they're going to be that active 
getting in their starters because I think they have so many other needs and they have finite resources. So you put it all together and you're just kind of, you know, there are so many different ways this offseason could unfold. And I want to hear, you know, kind of what you guys were, were thinking about your, your sort of ideal offseason. But uh, to me, I think it starts with a closer and a bopper and left. And then you just try to fill in the pieces from there. I, I really do think that. And, and um, you know, they have to do a better job in the middle of the bullpen. They have to do a better job on the bench. Uh, you know, I think the infield is going to kind of is what it is. Um, they're going to sacrifice defense for offense. Um, that's just the way it's going to be. And I wouldn't rule out, you know, them making some kind of, you know, largest, large-ish trade from their big league roster. Like, I just think Nebraska has a better feel for what he has and what he doesn't have and who he can trust and who he doesn't trust. Uh, and I think he's aware that just things, you know, some things need to change and, uh, easier said than done. Right. Yeah. You mentioned the, like the obvious holes with some free agents departing, like in center left and in the, in the bullpen, but also last year you alluded to it with the infield. They, to be frank, they had a bad shortstop and a bad third baseman for a large chunk of last season. And I think they'll probably look into making upgrades there. I don't know if, like they're set on Alec Bohm and Didi Gregorius as their starters for next season. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think like, I think, I think Bohm. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Bohm is the third base. Like I, I, I really do. I mean, honestly, um, for a lot of reasons, but the biggest reason being like, they don't really have a choice. Like they don't have a choice. Like Bohm has to be their third baseman and like, they have to try it again because they, they can't fill every need yeah. from the outside right now. And they're yeah. in a position where they're, they have Boehm has to play third base and whether yeah. it goes well or not, like we don't know, but like they have, they pretty much have to. Unless there's a, a DH in the new CBA, which I guess is a whole other thing, which. Yeah. But then like you're still having before. to fill a spot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if there's a DH, like they plan on rotating uh, players into that position, they will not have a set DH, you know, they want to rotate guys in there. So um just another yeah i mean it's like another position yeah it's another everyday player essentially you know because you're rotating someone in in and out so there's another hitter that needs to be in the lineup and so add that to the list i mean it's just um it's a lot and uh it's it's quite the challenge for dombrowski yeah so we mentioned our ideal offseason episode that we did last week where we weren't exactly doing what we think the phillies would do or <laughs> or anything like that we were just basically given what the estimated luxury tax number would be for next year, assuming there is one, we kind of just played GM and got creative to fill as many spots as we could while staying under the luxury tax. Nathan, you can, you can talk about some of the moves that you made. Nathan was not as, not quite as he didn't swing for the fences. Like I did, I would say, but you can, <laughs> Nathan, you can, you can start with the moves that you made last week. Well, our conclusion was that Ty's team had a, higher ceiling, but also a lower floor. So I had them re-signing Hector Neris, signing Andrew Chafin, um, signing Rich Hill to a short one-year deal. I had them trading Didi and prospect like of the Casey Martin caliber, trying to dump some salary there, maybe throwing in somebody else if they need to uh, for basically, I mean, nothing, maybe like a tiny bit of cash, but probably just a low-level prospect or something like that. And then the the big move that I had them making was 
going out and signing Chris Bryant because I think he fills a lot of the holes that this team has. He can play third base if there's a designated hitter. You can move Bohm there, and but Bryant at third. Uh, Bryant can play left. He can play basically anywhere on the field except for, I guess, middle infield and center pitcher catcher. Um, and then he's the big bat in the middle of the lineup that this team needs. And sure, maybe you'd like to have a left-handed bat there, but I mean, I don't know if you can really get that picky at this point. Um, so those were kind of the moves that I had them. And I also had them trading for Kevin Kiermeyer because, and Matt, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this because the philosophy that this team has taken the last few years is let's get guys who can hit and the defense be damned and hopefully they can out hit their defensive struggles. And it just hasn't worked last year. I think it was on display perhaps most egregiously. The defense was hard to watch, especially at points in the middle of the season. It cost them several games. And I'm curious if you think that that philosophy is going to shift at all. And if there's an indication that maybe they're thinking about sacrificing a little bit of like, I guess the Kevin Kiermeyer guy would be the exact guy to fit that mold. The guy who, isn't totally helpless with the bat, but he's not going to hit you 35 homers and he's going to play lockdown, you know, uh, outfield there too. So do you think that that's something that this team's going to look into, or are they going to still go with the approach? I know I just kind of threw a lot on you. It's like evaluate my whole no, off season. Yeah. And then also no, what are they going to do? But I, I suspect they're going to double down on like the sacrifice of defense. I really do. I mean, like, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I just, uh, I, it's not something that they can just like fix absent, you know, getting a new shortstop, uh, moving Bohm over to first. And even that, I don't know that that even, you know, makes them a, necessarily a better defensive team. Excuse me. I actually had laryngitis last week. So I'm like coming over that, but I, 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 I sound like I'm dying. It's <laughs> don't worry. I'm not dying. Uh, I, I think, uh, I, I agree with you about center field and I don't know if it's Kiermaier or someone who's, you know, uh, if you look at the free agent market in center field, it is, it is, it's not good. Um, it's, it's pretty light. There's a lot of glove first guys. And that's why I thought, okay, if we're just looking at this from a free agent standpoint, like go get your bopper in left field. And, you know, there are, you know, uh, numerous guys available and we, we, you know, everyone has kind of identified, um, you know, the guys who, who would fit in left field, who are like your traditional, you know, um, slugging, you know, 30, 35 homer type guys who, you know, aren't uh, going to be the best defenders in left. But that's why they're playing left field. And then you go get a glove guy in center. And like, you just have that, you get a guy who can just pick it in center, who can run down a ton of balls in the gaps for you. And he bats eighth and or ninth, I guess, since there won't be a pitcher. Uh, so I, I could see them doing that. I could see them going the Stalling Marte route, you know, in center. I, I think um, he's probably going to end up getting, uh, out of their price range. Like I really do again, because they have so many holes. Like, I, and, and, and I like your Chris Bryan idea. I just don't, I don't see them going that, you know, that big on one guy, just too many holes. Yeah. And they are a top heavy roster. And it's been funny to listen. And Harper said it again uh, after winning the MVP, you know, about not needing, you know, they can't keep spending, you know, filling every spot by spending big money. And it's funny. He says that because like, you know, Chris Bryant is a guy that like, he would love to play with like he is friendly with Chris Bryant and they're represented by the same agent. And like, you know, you would have thought maybe he starts campaigning a little harder for Chris Bryant. And I know behind the scenes before he's, you know, he's pushed them to try to go get Chris Bryant, but I, I, um, I just don't know if it's that realistic. Remember it's, it's two sides too, right? Like I think, you know, Chris Bryant 
you know, could very well be back in San Francisco. By all accounts, it sounds like he, he really enjoyed his time out there. The Giants liked him. It seems like they could, um, you know, given the this, this surprise season they had, could push their payroll a little more uh, and, and make him a really nice offer. So it's one thing for the Phillies to have, a, a, you know, oh, this guy really fits the Phillies and the Phillies are interested in this guy. But, um, you know, the, the market's going to dictate, you know, who they can and can't sign. So uh, I like your ideas. Um, I think Naris makes a lot of sense if he's the, the eighth inning guy. And I think they're really interested in that happening. I think Hector's interested in that happening as well. But he's also, you know, uh, reached free agency and he should explore what's out there. But uh, <laughs> the offense defensing is interesting. And, you know, these the questions have been asked of Dombrowski actually um, last week at the, at the I guess it was last, yeah, last week at the GM meetings in California. And, um, you know, he was asked about, you know, upgrading the defense. He said, well, we have to hit too. <laughs> He's not wrong about that. And, you know, they didn't really hit in the second half. I mean, outside of Bryce Harper, they didn't. Yeah. So um, I think you're going to see them double down. Like, I don't think the defense is going to be uh, very good. Uh, it might be, it might not be worse, uh, but I don't know that it's going to be that much better. It, it'd be impressive if it was worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be the defense being worse would be like if the bull, bullpen somehow got worse than than 2020. It's like they just they almost hit rock bottom. They tried. I mean, they really yeah. tried the bullpen. The 2021 bullpen tried. It was not worse than 2020, um, but they tried. It was it was just too impressive of a of a bar to to reach. I would say. <laughs> so. Nathan's offseason, I think with the Chris Bryant thing, like you mentioned, maybe that's out of their price range. But I think signing any free agent like that really, like you have to be able to dump DD's contract to be able to exactly. do that. Correct. Like that. Yes. That's, and that's the I only just, way. I don't, I, I just, um, yeah, I'm, I think you'd have to attach a better than Casey Martin prospect to make that happen. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, I think, what, 15, 16 million dollars, right? 15 to DD this year. Yeah. Some of it's deferred. Um, I know that, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's going to be a hard contract to offload, uh, even though it's only one year. Um, if anything, like that's the kind of situation where you trade a one, a bad, a one for one, a bad contract for another bad contract. You know, you have a team that's like, well, we needed somebody to stand at shortstop for us. Um, here's our bad contract in left field. Yeah. Um, so one thing I think they. Yeah, one thing I think they could do if they are only able to offload, you know, none or maybe just a little bit of that contract is, you know, you obviously don't have the money to sign a Chris Bryant or a big shortstop. That's not happening, I don't think, either. But Kyle Schwarber has been linked to the Phillies a lot. I think he'd be a great fit. Put him in left. His defense is it's bad, but it's not like bad like it used to be. It gets at least passable there, especially if you have a glove first guy in center field, which is another conversation. But Put him in the middle of the lineup. He's, you know, left-handed hitter that can hit a lot of home yeah. runs. And that's something that yeah. this team could definitely use. Yeah, perfect fit for the ballpark. I think the question is, like, how long is the deal? And if it's, like, a four-year deal, for example, you know, how long until he's a, a full-time DH? You know, how many years into the yeah. deal is he a DH? And if, if that's the case, and that's fine, you maybe, you know, maybe you decide you live with that, especially since you're really trying to win, you know, in 2022 and 2023. You're really, really trying to win. So you're like, well, whatever, we'll deal with 2024, you know, the third year of the contract when we get there, whatever. Um, I think that's a, that's a reasonable question. That's like, how many years um, does he stick in left field? Yeah. I, all right, Nathan, should I get into, into my off season? Do you think? 
Yeah, just Matt, be be ready for the first trade because he doesn't ease into it whatsoever. <laughs> I'll I'll go I'll go a different order. I won't go right into the big one. So I don't think that they will do this, especially with all the changes in player development that they've made. It seems like they're putting an emphasis on being able to get some of the guys like the Moniacs of the world and the Hazleys and the Kingries, the, not those guys specifically, but those types of players in the future, the ones that are coming up to the majors, they want to get more out of those players and rightfully so. So my offseason kind of depends on flipping some prospects to help the major league team. And I just don't think they're going to operate that way. But if I was GM, I would consider it because I, like I mentioned before, I think this, this major league court is too good right now to, to waste and kind of plan for the future. They're built to win. Those guys are built to win right now. So like I mentioned before, the DD flipping DD's contract, dumping DD's contract is really like the most important thing to be able to sign different players. So I traded him, Casey Martin and some other, some pitching prospect who I can't recall off the top of my head, but he was like, he was like a mid-tier, he was like a beer, a B-tier prospect. He wasn't one of their top guys, but I was trading them to Pittsburgh for a reliever. I believe it was Stratton. So I was just getting another, another reliever. So I did that to get rid of the DD contract. The next thing I did, let me think here. I signed, I signed Jock Peterson to platoon in left with Matt Veerling. I brought back. I brought back Hector Neris and then the big moves I did, I traded. All right. You got to get ready for this one, Matt. I traded Bryson Stott, Francisco Morales and Kyle Gibson to Los Angeles for Cody Bellinger. That. Wow. That I, the way I think years, how many years of control? um, How many years does Cody Bellinger have left? I don't know this off the top of my head. It's I I think he might only have one year of arbitration left. He's due to make, he's due to make like sixteen million dollars, I believe. I'll look that up right he's now. At, he's at, he's got four years and one hundred and sixty days, so he has uh, two more years of club control. Two more years. So I traded for, I traded for him. My reasoning behind that was, the Dodgers. They're probably going to lose Seager. They're probably going to lose Taylor. They could use maybe a shortstop of the future. They take Stott. Phillies have an obvious hole in center field. He's a guy who battled injuries all year in Bellinger, and he really bad in the regular season, but he battled injuries, put together a good postseason. I'm banking on him maybe to not get back to MVP form, but I think he's still a really good player. Morales is a guy that feels like the Dodgers could turn, in, could turn into like a really good reliever or like a swingman type. Like, like they've kind of used Urias in that, in that role early on in his career. I'm not saying he'd be as good, but the idea. And then Gibson, I traded because I needed to get rid of his $9 because I was really pushing against the luxury tax. So then I also signed Rich Hill to, to make up for the for You guys the are all about Rich Hill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he'd be a good – I think he's a guy who could fill the sort of, you know, long relief-ish middle relief bullpen role and then also come into the staff when they need him because yeah. injuries will inevitably come up. So, but so yeah, that's, get, that's my me, big trade, let me, the Bellinger. Let me get to a point. Let me get to um, a point that you brought up. And you said if I were a GM, the way that I would operate is I would try to trade prospects, as many prospects as I can, to to help the big league team. I, I, I don't think you're very far off there. 
like I, I think that I actually were. I mean, like last offseason, you can recall Dave Dombrowski traded two players from the organization, only two guys. Yeah. Carson Ragsdale for Sam Coonrod and Garrett Clevenger went a three-way trade uh, to the Dodgers that got them Jose Alvarado. They only traded two guys. Well, two they, really traded, they traded a, uh, a player to be named later for uh, Chatham. As they, well. A player to be named for CHC Chatham, which was a disastrous trade. Even if that <laughs> player, even if the player, I've heard different opinions about the player they traded, like, you know, he ha- he's like has a shot though, which is yeah. more than they should have traded for CJ Chatham. So anyway, um, they I don't think they he, thought they had Didi at the time. That was probably it made more sense at the moment when they traded for Chatham. Possibly, yeah. Also, anyway, they didn't. I think Dabrowski didn't know anything about Nick Mayton, but yes. Um, hmm. So uh, I think they're going to trade more prospects this offseason. And I, the way I would say is, if you're not Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, or Bryson Stott, you're available. And specifically, if you are in the upper minors at AAA or AA, and you are not viewed as someone who can be an immediate contributor and help the big league team in 2022 or the first half of 2023, you are not only available, but you're very much in play. And this is the way Dombrowski has operated in previous uh, situations, specifically in Boston. Um, if you can't, if you aren't going to contribute, they believe through their evaluations that these players will not contribute in the upper minors to this team right now at some point in 2022, then they are in play because they need to find players for the edges of this roster that can contribute. And look, like other teams have looked at their farm system and they, and they, you know, they don't really like a lot of what they see. I mean, they like those top guys in the top, of course, Um in the middle, I think there's some guys who other teams look at and say, you know, maybe this guy could be like a role player. Maybe this guy is a, a reliever. Um, you know, not a lot of everyday grades put on some of these guys. Like, for example, you know, one of the catchers, Marshawn or Ohapi, like very much in play. Like, I, I think one of those guys gets traded this offseason um, because of the situation. I mean, you have a catcher and you need to win now. And like one of those guys might be a really good catcher in the big leagues at some point, but right now, like they probably are going to cash in on one of those guys. That's just an example. Um, you know, maybe they, you know, you'd be selling low on like Moniac or Hazley, um, which is unfortunate because I think in an ideal world, one of those guys is your center fielder in 2022. But um, I think that, I think that was all very much in play. Like, I think you're going to see Dombrowski be way more active. Um, when it comes to that. And that's why it's so hard to evaluate what they might do. Cause we look at free agency and that's, you know, we're inclined to think, Oh, this is how they can fill this hole. Sign this guy, sign that guy, sign that guy. But, you know, typically it's a mix of, of signings and trades and the trades are always less, you know, less apparent, like, you know, they're, they're harder to figure out. So uh, I, I think your Bellinger example is a little extreme, yeah, um, but I think you're on the right track. I do. Like, I think, um, just about everyone is in play. I really do more so than last year because Dombrowski again has a better feel for what he has, what he doesn't have, and whose evaluations he trusts within the organization. Uh, I think there were some questions for him um, about that. You know, last offseason, I think there were some people who were telling him, "Oh, these guys, you know, our guys, our prospects, these guys are, are really, really good." And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he got to the trade deadline and he found that teams were not really interested in most of the guys. And I think that was a, a, a really um, a um, eye-opening experience for Dombrowski. All right. A few more things. I finish off my offseason, basically the last big move. I signed Baez for, I think, five years, $20 million a year that, to play shorts. Cool. Man, the, I'm just imagining what, like, 
how Javi Baez and Philadelphia would get along. I'm just not, uh, I don't know. I mean, like as a writer, like I think um, I would love to just kind of sit back and watch that. Cause I think it would be kind of interesting, but I don't know. Feels like be the best fit. Feels like a guy that if he played well, I think that they would really rally around him. No question. As long as he doesn't, yeah. as long as he doesn't boo the fans, that would not go <laughs> even. Well. Even it's like it's like a it's like a Rollins thing. Like he called them front runners, and they gave him yeah, they gave him crap for it. But and, he plays yeah. well. A lot of people him. hated Joe. A lot of people in the city, you know, didn't like Jimmy in that exactly, which is hard to believe. But um, yeah, but yeah, that would be that would be my last thing. But going back to what you mentioned about like trading the prospects, you identified one of the uh, the catchers as you think they would be trade targets for other teams that you think they're on probably on one of them's on their way out. Who would you say are other types of players? I mentioned Morales. Is that kind of a guy, other players that might be in play in the minor leagues. And then also is Dombrowski because he in Boston, he's shown he's willing to do this kind of thing. Do you think that Dombrowski is like the right fit for this team because of that? I think that him being willing to, be aggressive and, and and flip prospects for players to help the major league team. seems like other teams are sometimes hesitant to do that. Do you think Dombrowski being aggressive in that way makes him like kind of the ideal fit to lead this team at, at this moment? I think it depends on what you want from this franchise right now. And if, if, if the goal is to, you know, win at all costs and just try to, to take advantage of this core that they have right now, as long as they have it, then yeah, I think he's a pretty good guy to have at the top because I mean, he, he, you know, he will make it if his, if his uh, said stated goal is to make the playoffs now, um, you know, he, he has shown in the past that he is able to, to make the finishing moves on teams to get them over that hump. And that is kind of what they need right now. Now, if you're thinking about a long-term, you know, five, 10 year plan, um, I, I don't know that they have that. Uh, I mean, maybe they shouldn't have that right now. I mean, like they tried, you know, the whole, five-year, 10-year plan thing, and it failed miserably. So I um, I, I think uh, you asked me about who's in play, and, and I think I'll just go back and say, if you're not McAvoy, Andrew Painter, or Bryson Sott, um, I think you're in play. And obviously, in play means different things. I mean, like, they're not just going to trade um, Johan Rojas, for example, um, you know, for, for, a, for a part-time player at the big league level. I mean, it'll take a you know, they, they would want to hold him out for, for a, a pretty good return, but um, he's in play. I think like, I think the way Dombrowski looks at it again, is that if you're not a blue chipper a real blue chipper and he's traded blue chippers before too, I mean, go look at the Chris sale trade in Boston um, for example, but um, I think I would focus on those upper minor guys who, um, you know, might not be, you know, maybe some mid-level prospects, mid-tier prospects who, um, you know, in an ideal world would be counted on to be in your bullpen or maybe your bench, maybe as a platoon guy in the big leagues in 2022. But if they decide they're not ready for that, then they're in play. Um, and they may not get you, you know, the kind of returns you want, but they would get you players that, you know, depth pieces and pieces on the edges, the pieces that we've been talking about them needing for a long time. And, and I think you might see them try to, to cash in a little bit there. I would say too, I refuse to believe that, the Phillies front office didn't look at what happened with the Braves this year and take some serious notes because that was a team hovering around 500 all season behind the Phillies for a large portion of the season. 
And they just decided we're going to go for it. And even if the additions themselves weren't the moves that pushed them over the edge, I think if you look at just the players and the talent of the players that they got, they were good. They were good pieces for sure. And they added up to something that was more than the sum of their parts. But it was also just injecting some life into the clubhouse and saying, it's time to make the, well, they had been making the playoffs, but if the Phillies were to do that, it would be something that's like, it's it's time to make the playoffs. It's been 10 years. Uh, we're just going to go for it. We're going to, you know, once you get to October, you don't know what can possibly happen. And the Braves kind of showed that. And I think this is something that has to motivate them to say, even if we feel like we're not quite exactly there, because the reason they've been hesitant the last few years is they didn't feel like they were one or even two moves away from being legitimate title contenders. And they weren't, they were right about that. But at this point they're saying, okay, we might still not be one or two moves out, but self-defeating thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that that might be that it, it it might've been, it probably hurt for a lot of fans to see the Braves win the world series might be a sort of blessing for the front office. Yeah. And remember, I think if you back to the point about like, who do you trade? Who, how do you trade or what, you know, what's your philosophy? Look at what they did in the summer. I mean, that to me is a perfect example of what I think they're going to do this offseason. Like Spencer Howard, a, a good prospect, yeah. um, but a guy that they decided wasn't going to be a as big of a contributor for them in 2021 and 2022 than maybe they the previous regime had thought. And they said, well, if this guy isn't going to contribute the way we think he can or we thought he could, then let's trade him now and let's get somebody who we think is a big league contributor now. And, and honestly, you know, Kyle Gibson wasn't, isn't really a high ceiling kind of guy. They got back for Spencer Howard, but he filled a need for them in the big league level. And I think, you know, that's how Dombrowski's going to operate. And that, that trade should tell us a lot about how he'll think this off season. I, I really do believe that. When do you, when do you think the Phillies start making moves? Do you, do you expect to see anything before December 1st? Do you think they're going to wait it out to see like what the situation is going to be with this new CBA? I mean, it's really tough to tell like what's going to go on at all, I guess, but do you have any kind of read on it? So it's two o'clock on Friday afternoon. I actually think they might do something today not anything big, but I mean, a bunch, there's going to be a bunch of moves today before um, 6 PM. I think you'll see a bunch of trades. Um, it may not be big trades from across the league, but I think you're going to see um, a lot of moves like teams uh, trading arbitration eligible players um, to free up 40 man roster spots. Cause the six, there's a deadline today to set your 40 man roster essentially. Um, I know that they've been talking to a lot of different teams about possibly picking up some depth pieces um, that other teams might need to push off their 40. So that's something, um, but that's not really what you're asking me. You're asking me when are they actually, you know, when are they going to acquire maybe like a, a closer or a bigger name or like a left fielder. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got a closer before the lockout. I wouldn't. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they waited. I think um as aggressive as Dombrowski uh, is, you know, uh, is, is portrayed, um, he's not stupid. And, and I think he knows that there's there's a possibility that the rules are, are, are very different when we come out of this. Um, and because he has so many different needs, you know, it's not like they're one or two pieces away. And you're like, all right, we've identified this guy. And like, this is the guy we want. He fits this perfect. You know, let's go get him. They, they don't really uh, add that. Um, so... Uh, I, I think because they have so many holes, you might, you know, you could see them just wait uh, unless they've decided they've identified someone um, who feels a need, who is the perfect fit. Maybe they jump on that guy. I just don't think that guy is out there. 
What do you think would be some of the smaller additions that they might make to try to, because the, the roster is so top heavy and Wheeler Harper, we saw that this week with the MVP voting, not that we needed that validation, but I mean, what do you think are the moves that they can sort of round out the middle of the roster with and, you know, make this a team that's actually somewhat deep. I know it's a crazy concept. Well, I mean, the, the, the middle of the bullpen to me sticks out, Yeah, you know, and they've identified Alvarado, Brogdon, Coonrod, and Dominguez, which is interesting. Dominguez has faced three batters in the majors in like three years now, uh, almost three years, which is crazy. Um, I, you know, like Dominguez, when he, before the injury was, was you know, a remarkable reliever who, who appeared to have a, a heck of a career ahead of him. Um, so I understand why they're penciling him in right now. Not even penciling him in. I mean, they're, they're inking him into the bullpen. Like they're tendering him a contract and they plan on him being in the bullpen. Um, so that's four. Like, I mean, not only do they need a closer, I mean, you know, they need an eighth inning guy. They, they probably need a seventh inning guy, you know, like Alvarado, um, you know, depending on the day was either, you know, like a shutdown, like alien freakish type, you know, lefty reliever. And then other days was uh, just, he couldn't find a strike zone and you had no trust in him. So I, I, I think the bullpen is like, uh, beyond closer, like they need more there. And I keep coming back, like, this is totally, this is on player development. I, I really do believe that because if you have a, yeah. if you have a healthy functioning player development system, you, you should be able to produce middle relievers and set up relievers. Like the best teams have generated, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth inning guys from their system. Um, usually, you know, failed starters who be, you know, they move them to the bullpen and they make them two pitch guys. And in this era of power pitching, you know, power fastball, power slider, if you're, you know, if you're a le- you know, lefty, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, they, they, they failed there. They really have, I mean, like, like Brogdon, I think looks like a, a really solid big league piece. But like when you think about it, I mean, he's like the best that they've developed from within uh, in the last few years in terms of relievers. And that's just not good enough. Um, it's simply not good enough. And so now they're chasing middle relievers and set up men on, on free agency, which is, can be expensive. It can be, we've seen it before. You know, like you think back to like, you know, um, Dave Robertson contract, think back to like Mike Adams contract, you know, they're trying to sign, you're trying to sign a, a guy, a setup man who has, you know, great track records. And then all of a sudden it just blows up on you. I mean, that happens. It happens. Uh, so it's, it's a risky proposition. The middle of the bullpen is somewhere where they really could use upgrades. Um, and, uh, a lot of guys out there it's about picking the right ones and they just haven't picked the right ones in the last few years yeah i want to talk i i do want to talk pitching super briefly but in the starting rotation side of things and i agree with you you said earlier it's not going to be they could use a guy it's not going to be their number one hole to fill and if you have finite resources you can only do so much but people like the starting staff for the Phillies and i do too but i think there are questions to be had about really all of them i mean wheeler is 200 13 and a third Aaron you don't know what you're going to get from uh guys like Nola Kyle Gibson had a brutal September his earner on average is like over seven Ranger Suarez he probably is going to regress to the mean a little bit he could take significant steps back and still be a pretty solid guy um and then Zach Eflin is going to miss the start of the season so and then once they're all healthy injuries are going to come up by what late May because that's just what happens to starting staffs and then who do you have to fill that you have Bailey Falter maybe past him? The options are kind of limited. So I think that this is an area that 
uh, again, people like, and I like to, I think it's one of their strengths relative to the lineup, which didn't hit in the second half and the bullpen, which like, I don't know if they ended up setting the MLB hot, you know, I high water mark for, <laughs> for, for, for blown saves, tying it. Yeah. But I think the starting staff is something that, where they could use some investment. And I think the starting staff is also something where you can never have enough, too much pitching uh, 2011 case in point. So you know, I think that's something that, that they could look to add. I don't know if it's their number one place to go spend $25 million on a Clayton Kershaw kind of guy. And the, the, the market's kind of crazy. Uh, Justin Verlander just got 25 for one year and he's battling injuries what? the last couple of seasons. 25 for so. two years? No, yeah. one year. Wait, two years? There's a, a player option. player option, yeah. <sighs> okay, but, but, but 25 per year. Yeah, for two years, he's like 39. Yeah. R- yeah. Really yeah, quick, so really quickly. I don't know. Um, but you're getting on to an idea, though. Like, this is why I don't know that they're going to sacrifice defense for offense because yeah. I don't know that they think they're going to get, you know, they know that they're not necessarily going to get the same kind of performances from the rotation that they got. And let's not forget, I mean, for a while, the rotation was, you know, like, was was a strength. I mean, it was, it was mm-hmm. keeping them in games. And um, I think they know that, like, there could be some regression there, specifically, like you said, with, you know, workload concerns at Wheeler, Suarez, regression questions about whether Gibson really fits here. Zach Eflin, like, you know, well, what's going to happen? Like, we, we really don't know. So, um, yeah, I don't disagree with you. It's just, you know, the rotation, they're looking at it as a strength and they're right. I mean, like as constructed in an ideal world, like the rotation is a strength for them right now, For sure. but there are so many ways that it could not become a strength. And then you're like, well, we have all these other holes. Like, so at some point you have to decide, well, like we, you know, we got to just, go with what we've got. And I think that's kind of where they are with the rotation. Yeah. Quickly, quickly, you mentioned going back to the player development thing you said earlier about getting middle inning relievers where the rotation in the top five is really solid, but then there's no depth. And then guys like Adonis Medina, where maybe he's like clearly not a big league starter at this point, but, and maybe he'd be a good middle reliever, but they don't have any depth. So they need to keep him out as this like weird hybrid starter in triple A that if they have injuries, they need him to go pitch in the majors because they don't yeah, have I mean, anybody you're getting else. Out of, exactly. Yeah. Like Hans Krauss to me, for example, Hans mm-hmm. Krauss is, is, you know, you talk to anyone who had seen him around the time of the trade and like, like the stuff, you know, he's a, he's a max effort guy that like, you know, and we saw it like the, the, the mechanics, like, you know, probably a reliever like in the long run and that's fine like he might be a really good big league reliever but uh yeah like at what point do you want to you know cast that die because you know yeah you don't have a lot of depth behind you you know this they ran into the same thing like Mauricio Guevara for example and I know he's not you know but he was you know a couple years ago he was you know he was throwing 100 and they're like oh should we make him a reliever should we just keep starting him and they decided to keep starting him and uh, it's probably a mistake. Like he probably would have been up earlier and might have had a, a better big league career had yeah. they just made the move when they wanted, you know, when people were thinking about making him a reliever. And I get it. You don't want to give up on guys as a starter because you want to develop them. You always starters are more valuable than relievers, like period. Um, but you're right. I mean, Chris Sanchez, Adonis Medina, Bailey Falter, Hans Kraus. Elo Santos for years, it felt like, was bouncing back and yeah. forth. Yovera. Yeah. I have a quick thing. This is not really on topic, but Yovera had a splitter in double A in 2019 when I covered him that just he completely lost. And that also like changed his career. He, he just didn't even throw it anymore. But it, that's the it's the thing like and I guess it, when you mentioned like we did before, oh, they're probably going to flip prospects. This is the pushback. Well, they don't even have like how can they trade prospects they don't have and then they have no depth 
So that's just it's right. a whole complicated and, and thing. Yeah, and it's not totally barren. And I know, you yeah. know, I've been critical of their player development, and and you know, there's there's a lot of reasons to be critical. Um, it's not like they don't have anything down there. There are some guys. I just think that when other teams have looked at their system, they don't see um, a lot of guys they're writing up as everyday players and or, you know, mid rotation, back rotation, you know, late inning relievers. There's, there's not a yeah. lot of that. There's a lot of guys who you can look at and say, oh, if this goes right, if that goes right, like this guy might, you know, could be uh, a role player or a middle reliever, a setup guy in the bigs, but um, not, not a lot, not a lot outside the top few. You know, yeah. and, and that that hurt them at the deadline. They wanted to, I, they wanted to make bigger moves at the trade deadline, and I think they tried. I do. Um, I, I just think they, you know, they couldn't find a match um, because of the, the prospect situation. Yeah, it feels like all the outside of the the top guys like start reaching AAA and all. Like most of them are in lower minors at this point. Like like single A. That's why I think that one of those the ones with yeah, potential. And one of those. That's why I think one of those catchers is. Um, you know, might, might be a guy who moves this off season. I really do. Definitely. So yeah, as we kind of wrap this up, Matt, are there any off season thoughts that we haven't touched on that maybe you think is important that we should note on this episode? I hope that they can find labor peace and not just mm-hmm. find, find labor peace, but like um, a better system, like a better system that encourages teams, uh, more teams to, um, you know, to, to try. Uh, I, 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 I really think it's important um, for both the, the management and the, and the, uh, and the labor side to really, um, you know, find, find the proper common ground for, for, you know, for the long-term health of the sport. Um, I love baseball and I, I, I think you guys love baseball too. And it's, yeah. um, there's, there's a lot, you know, a lot of people like to t- complain about what they don't like about baseball, you know, baseball fans. And, that, you know, it's kind of a weird dynamic and I'm guilty of it, too. But um, there are things that you know need to be looked at. And, and I really hope that, um, you know, if we have to go two months here or something like that with, um, you know, with a lockout, I hope that in the end uh, they come out of it not having missed any games and with, you know, with uh, a, a better agreement and a better path forward. Um, to making the game competitive and entertaining. Um, to me, it's the the issue. Um, and uh, I know we're going to get tired. I think I'm already tired of hearing about it and talking about it. And then, you, know, you know, the owners haven't even locked out the players yet. So it might be a long winter. And, like, it's really rough to think about it. But, but you know, maybe th- there is a purpose for this. And, and, and I would hope that the two sides, and both sides are just as equally at fault here, I think, Um you know, the two sides can, can find a way to, to make this, make this work and make it better. Yes. Super agent Scott Boris last week, I believe it was said that there are currently 17 teams trying to win in 2022. That's probably even an overestimation. I would imagine that he says that because he has some players to, that want to sign with some of those teams, but I think, yeah, he's trying to pump up. He's probably trying to pump up the Tigers and the Rangers right now because <laughs> they seem like the two teams that are like, oh, should we, maybe we should spend some money here. Like, yeah. oh, yes, yes. <laughs> no, but you're, you're exactly right that there needs to be a league where 17 teams at most are, are trying is not one that's, that's running smoothly, I would say. So, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Nathan, anything to, anything to add before we, we get going here? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys are definitely right that things need to change. I think it's also, I think you're also right that it's going to be kind of a drawn out, ugly winter. I think if 2020 
during the COVID situation was any indication it's not going to be the most, I don't know, peaceful labor war in the history of professional sports. So yeah, maybe, I mean, I hope, we're, I hope we're wrong. I really do. Yeah. But I, I think it's, yeah, I think, I think it could be, it might, it might be brutal. It really might. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just talking to people like it, it, uh, it might be pretty bad. Do you think, do you think we're going to miss games? No, but I mean, I think it's possible that spring training doesn't start on time. I do. Yeah. Or I think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's possible then that you also have like an off season shoehorned in two weeks, which might actually be kind of cool. And like, it's how the other major sports do it. And honestly, yeah, like now cool as in like, you know, as long as players get what they should get, like, I, I think, um, you know, there's this desire to like shrink the off season, make everything happen at once. But sometimes it comes to the detriment of, um, of the labor force, like the players might not, you know, that might depress salaries. So like, it'd be cool if there's action. And if like, you know, players are paid commensurate to what they should be getting. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode, Matt. Thank you for coming on Matt Gelb of the athletic read his work at the athletic follow him on Twitter at Matt Gelb, Matt. Thanks again for coming on. This was great. Yeah. Thanks for letting me ramble and uh, happy Thanksgiving. You guys. Thank you. You as well. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back with our next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm.